My name is Nathan, and uh, we're glad you're here. As Daryl said, this is our annual community meeting. Uh, we meet every week, so in a sense, it's like, well, what's different about this? Well, from a legal standpoint, as a 501c3, as a religious 501c3, uh, we have a responsibility to gather our membership together once a year um, to do a variety of things, one of which is to elect a leadership team for the, for the future. Uh, in past years, we've done this as a separate thing from the worship gathering. We felt in recent years that it makes the most sense for us to include this as the worship gathering. And so we'll take the sermon segment of the morning and we'll, I've invited several people to share. We're going to look back over some highlights from the year, uh, point the, um, the spotlight ahead, give us some instruction and some insight into where we're headed in the future. And my hope is that this is just really encouraging to you. And also, we want to pull back the curtain. Uh, we want to be totally transparent. Uh, our style of leadership has always been to just share the good, the bad, and the ugly with the community. Uh, it's been a really strong year. I think it'd be easy to say that 2017 was in, some, was in many ways our strongest year. So we have a lot of great stuff to share this morning. But um, I'm glad that you're here. I think it's essential that you understand some of what's happening that we don't often get an opportunity to share on a typical Sunday morning. So let me start off by just uh, giving you a reminder, or for those of you who are new this morning, I want to tell you why we're called Emmaus and why that's so important to us. There's this chapter in the end of Luke's gospel, chapter 24. There's a story in that chapter of the gospel um, about two travelers who are leaving their community. They are discouraged. Life hasn't worked out the way they hoped that it would, and so their response is to bail out. It, it happens to be the very first Easter morning. It's the day of the resurrection of Christ, but they don't know that yet. Nobody knows that yet. So these two travelers are discouraged, downtrodden. They're leaving their community. They're quitting. As they walk away from Jerusalem towards this city called Emmaus, a third traveler joins them, speeds up to catch them, slows down to join with them, engages them in conversation, begins by asking them questions. What are you talking about? What's going on? And they, they roll out um, their pain, their unrealized hopes, their discouragement to this third traveler. And then the third traveler offers a perspective on their life, on their brokenness, on their pain that is so life-giving, it's so captivating, that they invite him to stay with them for dinner seven miles into the journey. And as he breaks bread with them at the table, their eyes are opened, they recognize the third traveler is Jesus Christ. They saw him get killed on Friday, now it's Sunday night and he's alive again, their minds must have been blown. They recognized it's him. And as soon as they do, he mysteriously, he disappears from their sight. And then what happens next is really captivating to us. The whole story has been captivating to me for a long time. But in recent years, this last part is just so significant. What they do at that moment is instructive. They, Luke writes, they get up at once. Took them all day to walk seven miles. But now they get up at once and they go back to where they came from. And they go back with the news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In a sense, missions begins. They go back in the dark to the place of their brokenness, to the place of their disappointment, to the very place and the very community um, in which they, they said, we have not realized our hopes, right? But they go back to that place now with a perspective that's totally changed because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so then from there, the church 
the church explodes, right? The church grows. And the message of the church, despite what we typically say in the West, in an effort to kind of be theologically correct, we typically say the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Of course, that's totally accurate. But the early message of the Christians wasn't exactly that. It was Jesus Christ lives. Jesus is alive, right? So the message becomes he died for your sins and now he's risen again to life. And, and we have been invited into this, miss, this uh, mission of restoring all things along with Christ, right? So this story, as many of you know, captivated our hearts when we started the church in 2005. We ended up naming our church Emmaus because we hoped this story would continue to be a touchstone for us, would keep us on track. Um, And essentially, it's equipped us with this vision for the church, this three-part vision. First, we want to share life with one another. Community has always been core to the, uh, the philosophy of ministry here at Emmaus. We believe that it is in community that Christianity actually happens. In other words, it's very difficult to be a Lone Ranger Christian. It doesn't really work outside of community. Community takes a lot of effort, and it's hard, but it's, it is the context in which someone becomes a follower of Christ. So we want to share life together. We also want to discover Jesus together, and that's very intentional language. This ongoing process of discovering Jesus and what it means to be a follower of Jesus now. When I was 13, what it meant to be a follower of Jesus is not the same as what it meant to be a follower of Jesus when I was 30, and it's not the same what it means to be a follower of Jesus now at 45. Core things are the same, but what I am surrendering to Jesus, what I am, the, the ways in which he calls me to follow him have matured and changed as life's gotten bigger. I've needed Jesus to get bigger in my life, right? So we're called to share life together, discover Jesus together. Some of us have been following him for 60 years. Some of us have not yet said, I want to follow him. And, but this is a community where that process can happen. And then what, what uh, crystallized and clarified for us in the last couple years, is that that return trip. For many of uh, the years that we've been in fellowship together, we've talked about the road and the table, sharing life and discovering Jesus at the table. And what clarified for us a couple of years ago was that these travelers, they don't stay at the table. They go back on the road. This time, they're seeing their tracks head in the other direction, but it's road, table, back. And that's because they're, they're on the mission to restore all things. And so we've embraced this kind of grandiose mission. We're going to restore all things because we believe that Jesus has called us to participate in God's mission, which is to restore all things. And so this is what we're about, and this is what we will continue to be about. And much of the challenge becomes now for us uh, staying focused on the main things and then having the discernment to realize how we can actually partner with God in bringing restoration to broken places, broken homes, broken relationships, uh, places of injustice in our local contexts, in our broader context, in an international context even. So super grateful that you're a part of this community and super grateful to be able to share where we're headed um, as a church uh, together this morning. All right, so we're going to kick into part two of the meeting, which is highlights from the year. The first highlight I get to share, it's, it, we're sitting in it, right? We moved into our new home, and that's a big deal. Yeah. So in case you're new with us, our first Sunday here was April of 17. We haven't even been in here a whole year. Um, And this is significant for a lot of really practical, obvious reasons. Many of you know we rented a school for the first 12, 13 years of our existence. Here's what is valuable, an additional thing that's valuable about 
the gift of this home for us now. This is a great story. This is a great story of restoration. I was out of town this week. I heard myself telling this story. Tell us about your church. And it's in an elevator. Nobody has a lot of time, right? So I'm not going to give him the full like philosophy of ministry. Uh, but, but I found myself saying this. Yeah, we started a church in this little town. And after 13 years, God provided the downtown movie theater for us as our first home. And we're all about restoration. And it's, uh, it's exciting to be able to be downtown in the midst of where all kinds of real practical restoration is happening. We want to be a church that's about putting broken things back together right in the heart of our city. Friends, it's a great story. It's a great way for you to share what's going on in your church because it speaks to more than just the practical realities of acquiring some real estate, but it speaks to the vision of our church. All right. So first highlight, uh, new home. Second highlight we want to point out is a series of new partnerships. And Sandy Haskins is on staff with us as a community pastor. She's going to jump into that. Yes. Hey, everybody. Great to see you. Um, I'm super excited to share with you about some of our new partnerships over this last year. Um, we love to build relationships, not just here at Emmaus with all the awesome things that are going on here, but there are a lot of wonderful things happening in our uh, local community, and we get to be friends with them and do awesome things with them too. So um, I love that. I want to share with you a few of the partnerships. First one is Mercy Multiplied, which is a 40-bed facility for young women right here in Lincoln uh, that helps these women come out of addictions and all kinds of brokenness. And they get to come to this program and really meet Jesus in a new way and really put on truth that is what helps them heal and overcome their brokenness. Um, so that's really exciting. We were able to do a four-week class there at Mercy Multiplied um, on StrengthsFinder, which is really exciting. Um, also, we're helping them in financial ways, and our Foundry Youth Center, some of the students there also have volunteered in different ways. So that's awesome. That's great. Um, another partnership is William Jessup University, just down the road from us. And we are one of their church partners, and we are the first Nazarene church partner, which is kind of cool. Um, we also give a little bit financially there, and a benefit to our community is that students from Emmaus that uh, choose to go there, there are scholarship opportunities as well as internships, so another cool part of that partnership. And then um, Gamblers Anonymous, they have been um, a group that's been meeting for a while but have needed more space and for other times that they can meet together, and so our uh, church building now has been a place that we can host their group and be a part of their restoration, which is really great. Um, we, for the first part of the year, we uh, hosted here in the theater, and now they're at the Foundry Youth Center. And then next, we have the Art League of Lincoln. I know Jean Cross is very involved in that. You probably have noticed in the alley back here all the beautiful art, the art walk that's happening there. And there's a lot more plans happening back there, um, a restoration of our city. And um, so it's exciting to have our theater be a part of that beautiful art restoration. So super cool. And then lastly, the table, which you may not know a whole lot about that, but Carlos is going to share with us. Hey, everyone. Uh, the table is something that we started about two years ago, uh, just me and Stephen Hay from the Salt Mine. 
Uh, and just recently, Emmaus has brought it under as kind of one of my responsibilities along with Angela, in which we meet with all the youth pastors in our town and we talk about the real needs that our, uh, our students are facing. So we've done um, everything from like a joint worship session where a couple of different students got to get together and lead worship for all of the youth groups and we opened that out to the whole community. Mm-hmm. Um, but really what it's about, it's inviting people to a table and having a conversation about how we can partner in restoring all things because it's, it's, we're, we're doing a really great job. I'm proud of us, but we're also doing a really great job of reaching out to people who are doing it already mm-hmm. um, and really making sure that we move forward to restoring all things in our town. So. Great. Good. So there's some uh, partnerships that, ex- that existed or got formalized or strengthened over the last year. Um, another thing that's happening, there's new community impact and several examples of uh, impacting our area that we want to share with you. Sandy, would you lead us into that? Yes. So um, one thing that I'm super excited about is seeing more of our community jumping in and volunteering when they hear about needs in our community. So every May, right around Mother's Day, we have a work day for single moms and widows. And this last year, we were serving at 11 different uh, homes, uh, things that needed fixing up within their home or in their yard. And this, or this last year, we had a little bit more than 40 volunteers at these different locations, which was so wonderful to work together. And of those 40, a lot of them were Ember students as well as Foundry Youth Center students. So that's something to celebrate. Amen. Good. So <clears throat> another thing, uh, for those of you who don't know, we have a youth center in Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, this past year, we transitioned it from the Axiom to the Foundry. So it is now officially a ministry under Emmaus. Um, it's a ministry that doesn't necessarily focus on, um, you know, it's, it's not another youth group. Right. Uh, it, it's very much focused on meeting the basic needs of students who are dropping in. So the way that we accomplish uh, developing our young people to have strong character and compassion is through service and mentorship. Right. And um, just the culture that started happening uh, in the space really brought forth the idea of our younger students looking up to our older students because our older students are getting, you know, that that triage, that like, let's graduate, let's start focusing on what you need to get done uh, to be a successful person. So the younger students are seeing that culture and they're excited for it. And when it's their time, they step into those roles as well um, and just start working hard. So uh, we got a little video for you guys. Um, And uh, it just shares about one student's experience at the Foundry. But uh, I want to let you guys know that this is our first uh, way that people are getting to know Emmaus in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, It it could be from the perspective of, like, a life of somebody who grew up in Lincoln. Let's say that they hadn't run into Emmaus at all at any point. Um, And then in the sixth grade, they decided to go to the Foundry to check it out. And they start getting to know people from Emmaus, and they start understanding that you, we are a trustworthy group. And the parents who have those kids, that might be their first time mm-hmm. um, understanding who we are as a community. Uh, they're saying those are the people that help 
my kids out. Yeah. So you all are trusted. You all, um, you all stand with the foundry on that. So we're just super thankful. Uh, so we're going to share this little video with you. Good. My name is Dominic and I'm a junior in high school. Before the foundry, I was in that So good, so good, yeah. We're proud of you, Dominic. Thanks for being a part of us, brother, yeah. This is Angela Henning, she's our youth pastor. Tell us about the uh, growing impact of our youth ministries. Okay, well, I'm really happy to say this is the strongest year we've had with youth ministry at Emmaus. Mm -hmm. And because of all the growth, because of everything that's happening, we've actually had to do some restructuring. So we still have Ember, it's our high school program. We meet once a week, but we also have um, discipleship groups in the morning. Um, in addition to that, we now have um, Ignite, which is our middle school group. Um, it meets also once a week, same time as Ember, and it is just growing by leaps and bounds. Trista and England Baker have just done such a phenomenal job leading this group for us, and we're quickly outgrowing that room. And also to meet the needs of our, uh, our fourth and fifth graders, Julie Carlisle has started Fuel 45, which meets also on Wednesdays. And it's just a great program. It gives these kids who are in between a chance to really grow, experience like this joy that Julie exhibits through everything she does. Mm -hmm. So um, I want to just share a couple of highlights. First of all, I want to tell you that 19 adults in our community currently serve our youth ministries. That's great. So That's I'm going to repeat that. 19 adults serve youth, which is just amazing all in so many ways. That's good. It's amazing for me, and it's especially amazing for our, our students. Their lives are being changed because people prioritize them. Hmm. Um, we also have over 60 kids some nights between our three locations on a Wednesday night. Mm -hmm. um, but more important than that, our students are being discipled. Yeah. People are taking time to have one-on-one -on -one discipleship um, relationships with our students and lives, again, are being changed because of people's commitment to our youth. Amen. Good job. Thank you. All right. We're cruising. Part three of our meeting is our insanely cool graphs section. Uh, so I have asked Rich Lester, our executive director, to uh, simplify the numbers and the realities that sometimes tell confusing stories, but we've got some cool stories to share with these today. Yeah, so I get the opportunity to share the insanely mediocre graphs with you guys. <laughs> See? <laughs> very mediocre. I, Thank I you. like what it says, though. It's very clear. Um, so, the, um, so this is an attendance trend for 2017. As you can see, April, it's always a big bump, just so you know. It's uh, because of we have additional gatherings like Good Friday and Easter. Everybody comes, right? Um, and so, uh, so that's a pretty normal thing. 
and then you'll see kind of a little bit of a lull uh, during uh, like June, July uh, in there, and then comes kind of back up there by the, by the end of December. Um, but the, all these numbers are larger than they had been in, in the past. This is the very first time that we have exceeded uh, 300 people. So 300 is kind of, can be a little bit of a ceiling for some churches, um, and it seems that we're starting to, um, to get, go past that. Um, but also, um, all these, these numbers like attendance and the financial stuff that I'm sharing with you, it's all, this is not kind of our primary focus as good. Emmaus leadership, yeah, right? Good. Um, just so you know, all the stuff that was already shared are kind of our primary indicators of health, good. right? How, who's being met with? Who's being discipled? Uh, what what are, what are we able to? How are people growing in the relationship with Christ? Mm-hmm. It's kind of the the closer um, indicators to our actual goals, right? Mm-hmm. We still track this stuff. We still pay attention to it because it, we we need to uh, to make sure that we ha- we have the financial resources in order to allow ministry to continue to happen. Right. But ministry is kind of the on the forefront. In fact, Nathan rarely asks me about these numbers, but um, <laughs> way more concerned about the actual work that's happening on the ground. Um, and then financially, our, our, our budget was, uh, that was set in, for 2017 by our board, our elected board, was $488,000. Um, of, of that, we actually brought in $513,000 um, for like, tithes and offerings. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the money that, that you guys gave. In other words, we actually brought in more than what we had budgeted. And then when you, when you factor in the fact that we actually spent less than we planned on spending mm-hmm. um, and we have brought in more, we ended up with a $27,000 surplus uh, for 2017. In other words, um, we did good. <laughs> so, and we have um, actually every year. Uh, Emmaus has never had a year where... Uh, where we had spent more uh, than we had brought in. Mm-hmm. So um, we've been really uh, blessed in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and just real quick, that, that number, the uh, 513,000, uh, just so you, uh, I mean, I'm sure it's probably at least somewhat uh, self-explanatory, but that number represents ministry, right? That's, yeah. That pays for people to be meeting with people, to be discipling people. It, it, it funds things like uh, the foundry we, we, we fund out of a lot of that out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the, like the single parent ministry, the mercy multiplied money that we are giving, all of that stuff mm-hmm. is, is supported out of that number. Yeah. Um, so don't let it just be a number. Let it be represent money that is going to work uh, for God's kingdom. Um, we're also... Um, Actually, we'll transition here and then okay. I'll come back to the building stuff in a minute. Oh, that's right. <clears throat> I'm glad you remembered that because I didn't. Um, can you give me a trigger there? Uh, 513,000 is yeah. what we brought in and yeah. encouragement for what that money does. Good. Is that enough of a trigger? <laughs> <laughs> so much. I'm sorry. I'm just forgetting. Yeah, so I'm going to need some help. I'm sorry. Um, I know it's the first time that we've exceeded $500,000 in giving this uh, ever in the history of our church, which is a blessing. Um, Man, I'm striking out. Sorry. I, here's one of the things I wanted to say was that uh, in, in reviewing the, the giving trends for the last year, actually in, re, in reviewing the, the statements, I review them once a year because I have to sign them. Um, and you should have received those. But a couple of trends emerge. One is that some of us just give very irregularly. 
Um, I just remembered what it is, thanks. Um, and, uh, and, and so I want to encourage those of you who give, ir- give irregularly, I know there's a variety of factors there, but to make a move forward by, even if it's a smaller amount of money, to, to committing to give consistently to the church throughout the year. Um, and then there's also a trend that's really clear that some are, are just kind of giving when, when they can, and we, of course, totally appreciate that, but it's, there's a sharp contrast. There's a big bump between the majority of the church and then this smaller amount that is clearly tithing on their income, clearly giving uh, approximately 10% or more in some cases of what they uh, bring in. And, and I want to encourage those of you who are just sort of like, well, this is how much we give. We haven't really thought of it in terms of a percentage to consider increasing that and viewing this as stewardship as a percentage of what it is that, that you receive in terms of income. And one of the blessings that I have, and I hope that it reveals the heartbeat of our church is that um, we are not coming to you if we ever were to come to say, we need money, please give. We're not coming from a place of need, clearly. And now, to a certain degree, there's all kinds of needs that we have, but we're showing you, being very transparent about a significant surplus from last year's giving. And, And I think that most churches are going to say, we didn't quite reach it, we need some more money, please. Um, and, and would probably uh, encourage us not to reveal that there's a surplus because of the potential that it would make people feel like, oh, they don't really need the money. What I'm trying to say is, I hope that we can get completely above that conversation and instead talk about the spiritual value of living with consistent sacrificial giving so that we can just be in a position as a matter of our discipleship to Christ, of like, my money is surrendered to the Lord. It's, it's a real blessing, in other words, to get out of the realm of how much do we need for you to give and just be able to say from almost like just almost a purely spiritual level, do you see how this will make you healthier? You hopefully can see uh, with the support of these numbers that our motive in asking you to engage financially is for your own spiritual benefit. Um, we, we believe that this lifestyle of sacrificial giving is, is, the way to, um, is the way to demonstrate allegiance to Christ. And then in the future or at other points in time when there actually is a need, we can go to a group of people who have, uh, have nurtured a, a rhythm and a pattern of sacrificial giving, and you will be able, you will already be equipped to respond in a way that will change the world for people. In other words, it won't be a brand new idea because you hopefully will have developed the habit in the past. So um, I wanted to pause this part, and I'm sorry I took so long to do that because I lost my train. Um, but to be able to comment in, in regard to the, in the generosity of this church and the blessing of being able to take finances truly into a spiritual level. All right, thank you. Uh, and then, uh, as Nathan already mentioned, we've, we recently purchased this facility. Uh, the facility and all the upgrades and the speakers and, you know, all that sort of stuff uh, cost roughly a million dollars, which is actually a, a, an incredible price. Yeah. It's kind of a steal. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, so, but out of that million dollars, uh, we've already roughly paid off uh, 800 and 73,000 of those dollars. Yeah, so man. we have remaining, after only being in the building for what, eight months? Mm-hmm. Um, 126,000. 
um, which is roughly 12%. Now that 12% has gone slowly down from 14%. So the first chunk came quickly, and then now this is like hanging on. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but anyway, that's, that's what we have left until we're completely debt-free. Um, and what that does is um, we actually only had a $2,000 a month mortgage when we purchased the, the facility, and now uh, the giving over, the, over 2017 has dropped that down to like $960. <laughs> But she doesn't want that mortgage, right? Nine hundred sixty bucks. Um, but at any, but you know, if we if we push through on the one twenty six, um, then we would be uh, debt free and wouldn't have a mortgage. Uh, so that's where we're at today Beautiful. with this with this place. Yeah, when Rich told me that our new payment was going to be less than a thousand dollars a month, the, the thought that went through my head was, I wonder if there's twelve people in the church or twelve businesses in the church that would give a thousand dollars, cover our payments for the year, and then all the rest of the money that we've budgeted to go towards that would just push down the the principal. Anyway, it's a totally doable number, and I'm excited about the progress that we together have made on this gift of a, of a home. Amen. Let's... Yeah. Good, good. Thanks, Rich. Um, I want to talk to you about the surplus, but before we do, I want to tell some great stories about the restoration that's happening in the church. Some of our students put together a little video about our kids' ministry, and then I'll invite Julie to share. This is Julie Carlisle, our kids minister. Thank you. I think they left them in the snow and tell you have to say something good. <laughs> now think of it or you'll stay in the snow. <laughs> um, obviously, this church is committed to kids. I mean, the way that you as a community have brought foster kids in, adopted, served kids, what's going on at the foundry, what's going on in Ember, what's, what's going on upstairs and downstairs. And so I applaud you for that. Um, basically, kids speak fun. That's, that's mm-hmm. the language they speak. You don't see people upstairs going when they pick up their kids, um, did your Bible literacy increase today? You know, but if you teach the Bible and God's word and that they're loved and valued in the way that they speak, which is through fun and activity, they get it. And it's an honor. It's an honor to be in the trenches doing this. Um, We've got one of the best teams that I've ever um, had the privilege to serve with here. Um, But there is opportunity. Um, We've got some mommies and daddies that are going out on maternity leave or who are on maternity leave. And so in a church this size, it's all hands on deck. So come be a part of, of this ministry to the kids. If we say that this is the most important book that you can ever learn from, that you can ever memorize, that you can ever study, then let's get down and dirty with sharing with them how to understand it in their language. Amen. Honored to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Julie. Mm-hmm. I think the Winter Olympics are going on upstairs. If you're wondering why she's got the glasses on, the goggles. That's right. 
Win the luge. Yeah. <laughs> Curling, my favorite. Curling joke, inserted here. All right, a couple more stories to share with you. Uh, what does restoration look like at work? And what does restoration look like at home? Just a couple examples. I've invited Ryan Beidler and then Denise Alves to share. Oh, we did this last service, so doing it again with the bright lights is nerve-wracking and trying to repeat what I said last time. But I, I don't write anything down ever, so I try to just speak from the heart and hopefully communicate a message to you. But um, for the last 10 years, I've, I've been teaching at Granite Bay High School. I teach and coach. I coach varsity football and uh, freshman baseball, and this is the first spring I haven't coached a sport. So I reached a point of exhaustion. But... Um, <laughs> For the longest time as a Christian in that environment, in the public schools, um, just trying to get my feet wet into a new job and then get comfortable with the coaching staff. I've had some leadership changes in, in regards to the coaching staff in which um, I play a little bit more of a role with my voice and my position um, with the students. And, I, and it's in a consistent position where I know where I'm going to be next year. I know where I'm going to be the next year after that. Um, and so feeling grounded in that role um, is very important to me. Um, but several years ago, I got a phone call from a mom of a student that I coached in football and baseball, and he had gone on to college. Um, and she called me and she goes, I need your help. I need some way to communicate to him because he's not listening to me anymore. He's making bad choices at school. He's making bad choices in relationships. He's making bad choices with his free time. Um, and it's a young man I know really well because I coached him in both sports. Um, and so I go home amongst my busy schedule and can't figure out a way to do that. Um, not sure what to do with it. So I spoke to my wife and we've brainstormed for a while because so, it's been on my heart to kind of figure out a way to, to get that young man back on track. And in some ways without too much effort, you know, and not, my, not from me, but he did get back on track for that young man. But um, the next year later, I got another phone call from another parent going, same thing. You know, he's off to college. He's making bad choices. Um, these are good kids that, you know, under the supervision of parents in the high school, um, remained on track for the most part. And good, they're good academically. They're good athletically, but um, they're not making good choices. And so a second calling to do something about it. Um, and so finally I get to a point where in this football season I, I told my wife, I said, I'm going to do something because I feel like I need to. Um, I decided to ask a young man who I knew was – a Christian or I knew that he had some faith background and I said hey how about we meet once a week um, there's this little window of time on Friday afternoon between um, three o'clock and 430 where we have our team meeting our team dinner before our game and um, he said yeah I'd, I'd, I'd love to do that um, and there's a little bit of shock on his face because for the first time there's there's somebody reaching out to him as a Christian in a public school, as mm -hmm. a teacher and as a coach. Mm -hmm. um, and he, he works under my position, so I know him pretty well. Um, but that grew from one person to two people to then three. Yeah. And that was about it. Yeah. But it was very enriching, very encouraging. Um, the three young men came every week. I was surprised because I'm not, it's, it's Friday, it's after school. I'm, I'm toast from a <laughs> mental standpoint, but it was probably the highlight of my week. Mm. Um, to, to do that and, and to see them keep coming every week. Um, I know there's a desire to continue to meet this spring, but what's been on my heart now is this, the fact of these, these two other prior phone calls that I received of what do we do now with these graduates of our programs and of our high school when they're home for the summer? Is there any way that we can kind of tie that in? So 
that's going to be been on my heart and will be until I, I hope to do something about it. But um, we're bringing restoration to the high schools, um, the public high schools, which they need, very similar to the foundry. Um, just this transition, too, from, from high school to college and this, this freedom they have outside of their parents. And what are they doing with that freedom? Is there, are they being responsible with it or are they wasting it? So um, um, I'm thankful to be in that role. Um, and, it, and it, again, the, the patience of letting seven years of work or even 20 years of my career, this is the first time I've stepped out and de- did that. So mm-hmm. if God's calling you on your heart to, to take a step, it doesn't have to be a big one. It's only three people. Um, and it's just a half an hour to 45 minutes of my time to just kind of encourage. Um, that made a big deal on their part and, and their parents. Their parents have expressed that too. Good word, so. man. Thank you. Great job. Good morning. Well, we um, have heard some really powerful stories of how restoration is occurring um, through the ministry, ministerial work here at our church, um, out in the community, and at work. Um, I was asked to share a story of um, restoration in the home and specifically through our story of adoption. Um, our journey began as a FOST adopt home, which means that we were licensed to be a foster home. And then when um, the powers that be decided that the kids would not be returning to their bio families, then we transitioned into the adoption path, which is what um, we did. So for us, it began um, in December of 2015. Our little guy, Creed, came to us as a six-month-old, and we were told upon placement that though there are no guarantees, that we basically didn't have to worry. We had a you know, clear path that we just had to kind of go through all of the legal motions, but we weren't going to have to stress on anything. And then fast forward a month or two and casually brought up in my meeting with a social worker, I was told, uh, game changer, things look like they're shifting and it won't be happening like now, but in the near future, looks like he's going to be going back. Um, yeah. So that was a blow to say the least. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it just was a punch to the stomach. So Matt and I had a moment of, okay, I'm packing up and running away and then thinking, okay, um, if we were declaring that, okay, God had placed this little guy in our home and we believe that it was a very ordained, like, okay, you know, this is the path that we're supposed to be on. We can't just say that when it feels easy and it's a sure thing. If we believe that he was placed with us, then we either do or we don't. We're going to stand on that, even if it feels hard and trust that it's going to go according to God's plan. Or, you know, we've got to really rethink things here. So we said, okay, we're buckling down. So we did. And the next month, you know, feeling like just the world was falling out from under us, it was, again, casually brought up that, oh, no, it completely contradicted the past month. And, oh, no, reunification isn't going to happen. And, you know, basically, in, in normal words, they expected him to be staying with us. And so that was kind of our first indication that we were on for a very up-and-down roller coaster ride. But we sailed through that and felt like, okay, we did it. We passed the test. Now we're in for a calm season. You know, we're going to go through, and it's done. And a month or two later, we found out that actually there was a full sibling out there in the world somewhere that was supposed to have been placed with us, but the ball had been dropped. They weren't sure what was happening or where she was, but maybe she'd be coming home. Um, and so that then began another roller coaster of we know that there's a baby out there that's supposed to be with us. We don't know if she's going to be coming home. And so it was another two months of social workers battling things back and forth and following through with decisions. But two months later, a four-month-old Merritt came home. And um, in those days, it was really obvious to see that, okay, we were being included in a path 
and a plan for restoration because, you know, that it's kind of an obvious, you know, formation of family and, and we were seeing God restore um, and, and create our family through adoption. But what wasn't as obvious in those early days is there was also a plan in place for a personal and a spiritual restoration for us as individuals. Um, for me, that story looked like really having to come face to face with, okay, we say we believe this, but when you're faced with it feeling hard and you really have to step out on faith when you just don't know what's gonna happen, are we gonna hold on to that truth and stand on it as a foundation or are we gonna get scared and run? And so I felt those layers really getting peeled back when it was the times like, hey, we love this little boy as our son, but there's no guarantees and absolutely no control on whether or not he's gonna be staying in our home. Mm -hmm. And we know there's a little girl out there, but we don't know if she's coming home. You know, lots of moments like that over this journey where I really had to stop and have these like desperate moments of prayer where in my mind, okay, this is that moment of restoration, God. I had, a, I had really great plans for him where all he had to do was do it and everything was going to be restored. But as I was, you know, desperately praying these things, I began to recognize that his response to my prayers had less to do with those amazing plans I had and more to do with my response to the situation. Um, and, you know, I would pray, and then I'd open up my Bible or, or the devotional, and it seemed to always open up to these passages like, be still and know that I'm God. And that was so hard. Like, I don't mm -hmm. want to be still. I just want you to fix it. Mm -hmm. And then, like, the next day it would open up, and it would be talking about trusting him or leaning not on your own understandings. And it just seemed like over and over and over each day, like what I was being bombarded with is just, okay, let me do this. I've got it. And that was a really hard pill to swallow. Mm -hmm. But finally, after repeated beatings on my head, I was reminded, he works with me like that a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know why. Apparently, I'm a control freak or something. But um, at some point, I finally was going, okay, there's a pattern here. And I was reminded of um, a challenge a good friend had given me many years ago where he had said, okay, I want you to think about this prayer and see if you can pray it. And I thought that was kind of silly. I'm like, I can pray. Well, the prayer was, God, do whatever it takes to place me exactly in the center of your will. And I was like, well, okay, that's not that big a deal. Well, when I finally had a moment to be alone and ponder that, I was really surprised and a little embarrassed that my response was almost this immediate feeling of I'm grabbing certain areas of my life because I have to protect them. Like, no, this, this part is off limits. And it surprised me. So over the course of a couple of days, as I was really kind of working through that and, and praying about, okay, what would that look like if I just let go? What I recognized was me letting go of this false sense of control I had, it, it wasn't about God taking those things from me. It was about me recognizing that he cares about them more than I do. And he has a plan in place to take care of it all if I would just step back and get my plan out of the way and let him do his thing. And so... I was reminded of that as we were going through this process. And he was patient with me and let me kind of go back and go through it again and again and again until I was able to step back and say, okay, like, you know, you've got this. Well, I recognize that like, for you guys in this room now, not everyone is going to have your own story of adoption. Like there's many of us in our tiny little community that do. But like for you, the challenge would be, whether or not you're going to play a role in adoption, um, personally, maybe your role would be to support the families that are, or maybe God is gonna be placing you know, a calling on you for that. But regardless of that aspect of it, I would challenge you that same way my friend did, 
to say, okay, would you be able to pray, God, do whatever it takes to place me in the center of your will? Because it's as scary as it is to come to that place and you know, really embrace it, if you do, there's restoration on the other side that you don't even realize you need, where he's going to draw you closer and open up you know, like relationships and things that um, it's waiting if we're willing to let go of our own control and allow him to do his work. Great. Thank you, Denise. Appreciate that. Yeah. Great. So finally, I want to talk about the surplus that we have. So essentially, we share some money with the, with the community together for a year. We do this every week. We invite people to give to the church. And the understanding is that the leadership of the church, the elected board and the staff will um, use the funds that all of us share in common, this common purse, to support the ministries of the church. And then, usually at the end of the year, we have a little bit left over. This year, we had more left over than we've ever had before. We considered several options. We prayed, and we decided we would give 10000 to international restoration, 10000 to local restoration, which I'll talk about in a second, and then the balance we would spend on the, uh, some final um, some work here in the, in the home. But to explain why 10,000 for international and how that's gonna, where that's gonna go, I've asked Clay to share with us. First, we'll show a video, and then uh, Clay, come and join us and explain it for us. There's so many people today have no idea what's going on. Store life is viable employment, so we created an employment center where girls can support themselves and their families while working in a safe and empowering environment. We also have two transitional homes where girls can receive the support they need while they begin their store life. <coughs>
Well, Emmaus has given uh, $10,000 to Agape International Missions, and I want to share what that money represents. A lot of people ask my wife and I, um, how much does it cost to rescue a young girl? Uh, and that's a, that's a pretty loaded question, uh, because if you're saying, how much does it cost to work with investigators to find a girl and to work with the police and actually rescue that girl? It's not too much, you know. That's maybe a grand, could be two grand. But then if you start saying, how much does it cost to house that young lady? How much does it cost to have a full-time house mom that her job is to be there at night when she wakes up and has a nightmare and to be there to love her and to pray with her? How much does it cost to have a counselor to help them work through their past? How much does it cost to uh, have a teacher that's going to help that 14-year-old girl get caught up on all the schooling she's missed? Mm -hmm. Uh, Those numbers go up. And for us, we're not just interested in a superficial rescue. Uh, we've all been rescued by Jesus, and it's a deep work uh, that required a big community of people pouring into us. And so that $10,000 represents start to finish a restored life, not just the rescue out of a, a bad location, but that means actual the care so that that girl is going to walk back into society with a social worker that will walk with her the rest of her life into a restored future. Um, and it's important uh, for churches to have uh, to give to international needs, obviously because it's deeply on the heart of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, God cares about the lost. God cares about his name being known in the nations. This is deeply important to God. But another reason it's important for the life of a church is it's important to give to things that you really don't have the reach for them to give back to you. Uh, uh, in the Beatitudes, Jesus talks about give to where your left hand doesn't know where your right hand is giving. And let me share some great news. Uh, we as a church, we will never know the girl. We will never know her name. We won't know what happens in her life. The only person that is going to be able to see this whole story of restoration start to finish is Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing as a church to give to something where we're saying, I don't even, we're not going to have an opportunity for her to sit up on the stage and say, thank you, Emmaus. All we can do is say, God, we're giving out of a generosity because we believe it's on your heart. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I have had this wonderful opportunity, probably about four times to have a conversation with some young girls where they say, where does the money come from for all this This beautiful house, all these things? We say, there's people that don't know you that don't know your name, but they heard about what was happening here, and God touched their heart, and they gave generously and sacrificially because they believe that God made you in your mother's womb. He's got a wonderful future for you, and they want you to have that life. And to see them just shocked that a stranger who doesn't know them would give for that future, it's a beautiful thing. Um, So we're not going to know that person's story But God is going to watch it unfold. And that's a beautiful thing to give for the glory of God, to give for not the joy that we receive in our heart, but knowing that God receives joy in his heart as his creation grows and flourishes. So thank you, guys. Thanks for giving in this way. Amen. Thank you, Clay. Good. Good. Such a privilege to be able to partner with AIM. Uh, the leadership also decided to take $10,000 from the surplus of last year and focus it on local restoration partnerships. And I'm really excited about this. We've talked all through the fall from kind of an outreach or relational standpoint of moving from 
come to me, come to my house, come to my church, to this perspective that maybe we could join people where they are. And so what's exciting about this next piece is taking that philosophy to an economic level, and rather than to asking other organizations to support what we're doing at the church, we could be a church that's supporting other organizations. And so our goal is to take 10 or 12 local organizations that are doing good restorative work and say, we want to join with you. And we will give you some funds to do more of what you're already doing in Lincoln or the towns beyond. We're going to start with, Mo with Mercy Multiplied, which is this transitional house that Sandy talked about a few minutes ago. And we're just going to support the good work that they're doing. And so I hope that you feel like there's a real sense that, that some of the money that you gave over the last year is literally being funneled into other good works that are happening right here where you live and in the surrounding areas. Really excited about this. I often am asking people for money, and I'm looking forward to being able to go to some key people and saying, our church would like to give you some money to do more good work. That's what we want to be about. And then finally, we, the leadership decided, let's take the balance of the surplus. The final number wasn't known until the very end of the year, of course, and let's invest it into our home. Let's take care of some things that we didn't take care of when we moved in that we'd like to do to improve this place. So um, I hope that you feel like th those are some... Those are some well-directed um, uh, plans and a good strategy for using money that was given for ministry in this church. We took what we needed uh, throughout the year in terms of the budget to support the ongoing ministries, and now when we have extra, we're in this beautiful place of being able to just give it away. So uh, I hope that you feel a sense of participation in that. It's very much our collective money that's being shared with others, and I, I hope you feel like you can thank God for that and, and rejoice in that. All right, great. Well, thank you for, um, for listening into this. We'll end now with, uh, let me just hit this handout, and part of what we want to do together is represented on the back side of this. Before I get to that, let me just point out, there's, I, I love having people up here with me today as a representative of all of the uh, hard work that goes in by so many of you into this church um, on this right-hand column is a list of all of our team leaders. I hope you'll read through that and get a sense of all the different work that's happening in the church and just the different people who are giving significant time to lead these teams. Secondly, there's leaders of our home groups and our classes that are being offered throughout the year, even some of the class or the groups that you rarely hear about because they're, they're no longer open. They're trying to just build the community there. And then some of the new things, like the new classes that we're offering. So make sure you check that out. And then finally, if you're a member of the church, I'm going to ask you to vote for our, our leadership team for 2018. Now, we rarely talk in terms of who's a member, who's not a member. It's just not a real functional description for us most of the year, but it is today because it's respons the responsibility of the official membership of the church to elect a leadership board. So if you uh, have taken the membership class and you've met with a pastor, because we, keep it, we try to keep it really relational here, and you've signed the membership journal, so your name's in this book. If, you, if you're confused, we can look it up. Um, then I would ask you to, to help to select the leadership team for the next, for the next season. Um, if you're not an official member, please share your thoughts, questions, comments. We'd love to receive these from anybody. But if you're a member and you're over eight, you're 15 years old or older, that's Nazarene Church Polity, um, then you're welcome to vote. Make sure that I explain this clearly. Uh, big thank you to Stephanie, Kelly, and Jeff for finishing a two-year term on our leadership board. Those are the faces down here in the bottom. Um, 
The three board members who are continuing into a second year of their term are Stephen Lindsay and Stephen Henning and Bridget Farron. So what our responsibility is this morning is to select three of these five who will join the faces in the red box as leaders for the next two years, all right? Each of these five are qualified. Each of them are committed. I would feel great about any of them serving in this role. The, the hope is that the Spirit guides us to select a team that will be uniquely equipped to lead us through whatever challenges and opportunities we face in the next two years. Uh, to be clear, in case there's confusion, yes, Jeffrey finished a two-year term. We invited all of our board members to run again because they all did a great job. He accepted that invitation, so he's available to run or to serve for an additional two years, in case you're confused about that. So... Any questions on the procedure there? Great. So if you're a member 15 or older, Levi. Yeah, I know it's that's a challenging thing. We tried to give a short bio for each of the each of the people in the church. And uh, I know that's a challenge to know who to vote for if you don't know them. So ask for the Lord's leadership there, and if you're 15 years old or older, please write down three names in this, and then the ushers will be in the aisles, and they'll collect them in a minute. All right, would you stand up with me?